Welcome to Rock That Relationship, a podcast about all things relationship with Corey and Tracy. Now let's get real and start creating relationships that rock. Hello and welcome to Rock That Relationship. We are here in season five talking all about falling in love. We are so fortunate to have such a slew of wonderful experts on and people to share with us their experiences, their ideas, and their approaches, their philosophies on falling in love. And so today we're actually talking about bringing the past to the present. And we're here with Laura Giles, who is a shadow worker and coach and works a lot with folks to try to figure out a little bit about how their past informs their present. And uh, we are so thrilled to have you on today, Laura. Um, so thank you for being here. And of course, Tracy's here as well. And we're going to engage in, in our great dialogue with Laura and hear all about bringing the past to the present. So maybe before we even jump into and you know the interview, we actually just hear a little bit about you know who you are, Laura. How did you get started in this work? And what does it mean to be a shadow worker and a coach? I kind of stumbled into it. Um, I started out in mental health counseling, doing trauma work and all the trauma work is shadow work. Really? It's all this stuff that you can't see. And you, it's like, I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't know why I'm acting this way. And once you bring that stuff to light, it makes total sense and you have more power over it and you have the power to choose how to move forward. And I just really love it because it's, it's fascinating. Um, I love seeing the light come on in people. I love seeing. Um, just the way that they can transform their lives once they get all the crap out of the way. And I just really love being part of that process. So a lot of people have burnout doing this and it, for me, it's energizing. So I really love it. Well, that's awesome. I'm, you know, I'm so glad you're here to talk about this because, you know, we're, we've been looking at relationships as our, you know, is really the crux of who we are. We're rocked out relationship. And, you know, we, we, really look at relationships from various angles. And this particular season is about falling in love and about romantic relationships. But, you know, we're very well aware that various types of relationships play a role in our lives. I, you know, when we were looking through, you know, your materials and things all about you, and of course, we were incredibly drawn to you and your work. And um, you pointed out something called the uh, five relationship destroyers. Um, so I'm curious, what what exactly are those? I'd love to take credit for them, but they're not actually mine. They're, they're <laughs> <Scott> <laughs> <laughs> Um, The first one is contempt. And I would start there because I think once your relationship goes into that zone, you're in super bad trouble. So contempt is about everybody has contempt. You know, it's the expression of disgust. And we have this expression of disgust when we're around something that's dangerous, putrid, bad for us. And if we're reflecting that and or projecting that to our partner that's telling them that they're disgusting <laughs> nobody wants to receive that so that's that's like okay i i i'm out the door because i can't see myself reflected in that way or if i do that i'm going to lose so much of my self-worth that that i lose myself so that's definitely i put that at the top like that's no go no go hmm. Um, another one is stonewalling, and this is like you're refusing to engage. Um, this one, people can hang out for a, a while with this because sometimes people think that it's about, uh, I'm a peacekeeper. I just don't go there. And, and if I refuse to go there, then we can be okay. But it really is invalidating because if you won't talk to me about things, we can't 
grow together. And if we can't grow together, then we're going to die. So that's another one. It takes longer to die, but it's definitely a, a relationship destroyer. Another one is defensiveness. And defensiveness is a reaction to feeling uh, attacked. And nobody wants to feel attacked. You know, your relationship, you think, is your safe place. And if you're not my safe person, then, then it's hard to love you. Uh, when I ask people what made you fall in love with your person, they often say, this is the person that I can let down my guard with, I can be a little kid with, I can joke around with. So that's because they are safe. And if I'm feeling attacked, I don't have that anymore. So that's another really big one. Um, the next one is criticism. That again takes away your safety. If I'm writing something, if I'm playing a song, if I'm, even if I'm doing something every day, like cooking something, and then what I get back is criticism versus appreciation and love. That's like, oh, I don't, I don't feel safe with you either. So it's really about safety. And the last one, um, is not really a relationship to store, but it kind of is. And uh, what Gottman discovered way after the first four is he looked at, well, what makes people stay together? And it's, if you're a dog lover, then you know this, because all dogs do this. Mm. You come in and they're just like, wow, you're the greatest thing that happened all day. (laughs) You know, and they're really happy to see you and they validate you and they're, and they just, you know, light up when they see you versus, you know, you walk in the room and it's like you, nothing ever happened you become invisible and they just, you're just ignored. And while that might not be a big deal, your heart feels that. And if it's day after day after day, then you can wake up with that person and not know them anymore. So it's a day-to-day connection that really makes a difference. And you may be together, but your heart isn't the way that it was. So it's a love destroyer in a different way. You might not be out the door the way that you would with contempt, but that love is leaking away day by day. Yeah. You know, I, th- as you're talking, I mean, this, you know, puts it into a lot of perspective. I, I remember I was in a relationship one time and I'm an extrovert. So I like to process a lot. And so I'd come home from work and I'd always want to process. And I was with somebody who was introverted and didn't really want to receive my processing as much and um, would often say to me, like, are you done talking yet? And trying to see it from like an introvert extrovert, I can understand it was probably overwhelming, but the delivery of that felt very critical. Right. And then I became defensive and I'm like, I'm not done talking yet. You haven't even listened to me. And then it would, you know, it would spiral into something. And so, you know, when we talk about these destroyers, how how do they work in tandem with each other? Cause we were like in this criticism defensiveness loop for years and years. Yeah. I think once it gets going, then, then it's very hard to have just one or two, they do snowball into each other. And then once one person has it, then the other one has to react in the same way. So it, yeah, it's a feedback loop. So I was like, just don't even get that started. <laughs> yeah. Well, how do you not get it started? Like I've experienced all of them. Like I've done all of them except for the stonewalling, but I've been defensive. I've been contemptuous. I've been critical. And I think because of my past growing up, like the the uh, transition period, like when you see someone again, are you going to leave was always stressful, right? And I didn't understand that. So I would either blah, put everything out there, like when the person walked in the door, and I'd be like, we have to do this and get this done and do that. And it would just really put that person like immediately on the defensive. And then I would become defensive and then critical. And you know, yes, it became a loop. But like, how? 
I mean, does everybody have those things? Are there people in the world who grew up in like a really wonderful way and they know how to have a relationship or like, how do we head that off? Because I think you see that in so many relationships and people just then give up, you know? So I, I kind of hate to say this, but there are people who don't have this. Uh, I, I grew up without this. I did not have this modeled in my house. And the first time I saw it, I was in shock. So sitting from where I'm coming from, I think the thing that you do is radical responsibility. When you see yourself doing this, check yourself. So one of the things I tell my clients is have a code word. The code word is like, I'm getting upset. I can't do this right now. Or I'm seeing you get upset. We need to break. And then use that time to reset. But it takes self-awareness. You know, it's hard to break that cycle, but it doesn't have to be that way. And I thank God my parents, you know, there's people who say, I'm not going to argue in front of your kids. And then they go behind closed doors and then they have at it. So they they didn't do that either. And and I say that with confidence because as a grown up, I asked them, you know, because you don't know what's going on on the inside of, you know, behind closed doors. And they just weren't those that people. They could just have a conversation. They could. Mm-hmm you know, hear that the other person's disappointed and didn't take it personally, those kinds of things. And and you learn that. This is the same way that you learn the defensiveness and the how how to fight and how to do conflict. You know, most people who are um stonewallers, conflict avoiders, they learn that. They learned it from watching their parents. So all of this can be learned. Well, I'm always um, saying people should like start out a relationship with a therapist or a coach or something like to kind of like prevent these things before they become, you know, a cycle. Um, I mean, I said this recently, like, you know, in grade school, we learned square dancing. That was the most useless thing I've ever done in my life. And it's like rather we could have sat in a gym and talked and like there's no modeling of relationships. If you grow up in a in a home like I did, high, high conflict, I never learned. And it took me until I was 47 years old to even just begin to start to like process this stuff in my mind of, oh, how come these relationships aren't working for me? Why do I feel so unsatisfied? You know, like I'm 53 now, it's taken me six years and I have these realizations constantly with therapists or with, you know, coach and they're pretty like basic realizations, right? But if if you've never seen that, like if it's never been modeled for you, how can people get this? I mean, what do you find that people come to you after they're just like at the, like the last straw? Um, yes, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I think it takes something like that to say, I can't do this anymore. Um, but I think the modeling is super important and, and it's hard to learn it in, in a therapist's office with one-on-one because you do have to have it modeled. So one of the things I do is I teach a dialectical behavioral therapy group and it's basically emotional intelligence. And so you have feedback, you're with other people who are learning it and it's real. It's like, you know, there's no shame in it. It's just, okay, I did this thing. It wasn't effective. How do I do it differently? And so it's, you're modeling and you're hearing from, from other people that this is just life and I have to figure it out. This way works a little bit better than this way. So I think that's super um, uh, helpful. The other thing that I do is I have uh, retreats and sacred travel. And I didn't know this when I started this out. But people would come back over and over again because it's a safe place. Hmm. You would go there and, and you know, have you have all these experiences in these amazing places and there was no drama. 
and it's like, okay, it's like you go day by day and each day you get a little safer and a little safer and you risk a little more and you come out a little more and it's like, oh my God, by the end, I feel like myself, who is this person? And that's who you always are if you're in a safe place. So I think that that modeling that helps you to see what it is and what the target is and how to get there. But, you know, there's all these books and programs and things, probably all wonderful, but unless you have an environment where you can practice it, I think it's the value of it's kind of limited. Well, I think that's interesting. I don't know if Corey's ever seen that. I've never heard of like a DBT group that you just can join like yeah. out of nowhere. I mean, yeah. can anybody join? Yes. Yes. They uh-huh. have them all over the place. And I think it's the greatest thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> so I got uh, trained in 2008 and it was created by Marsha Lenahan um, for people with borderline personality disorder. Interesting. And when I first started uh, doing it, I, I even felt a little stigmatized, like, you know, you don't have to have borderline to be here, you know, like, because borderline is supposed to be the worst thing ever, but right. it's just, I didn't learn better skills. And so now I don't even say the borderline part because I think it's something everybody needs, yes. you know, it's emotional intelligence, how to say no, you know, when to say no, how much uh passion do I use in saying no? It's very basic stuff, but stuff that we're not often taught. Well, it makes a lot oh, of ahead. sense. I was, I was going to say, you know, when we think about particularly, I mean, even Tracy brought it up this idea of, you know, we spend time in square dancing instead of doing emotional intelligence work or social emotional learning as children. And um, I mean, they're doing a little tiny bit more of that now, but, but not a lot. So here we are, you know, coming into adulthood with, with lacking any modeling and any skills in some sense for, for many people, um, some of these, these these things, right. To be able to be more effective and we end up in relationships and then all we do is replicate what we have, yes. have seen, have practiced, have used, whatever it might be. And then we continue, we, that partnership breaks up for whatever reason, right. It's just toxic. It's blah, 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 blah. And then we move on to the next and we, we literally repeat these patterns over and yes. over and over because we don't mm-hmm. interrupt them. So when we think about it, like you're in a new relationship and you, you know, you might be, you might be behaving in a certain way or triggered in a certain way. How do you, how do you recognize that that might be coming from the past modeling that you've seen or the past patterns that you've experienced versus maybe like a real issue that's in the relationship? So um, before, before we got started on the podcast, we did a little demo <laughs> so that you guys could see um, what it's like to find an old thing. And what I tell all my clients is that when you have an emotional reaction that's objectively bigger than the situation calls for, you know that's a trigger. So if uh, somebody hangs up on me and I'm about to have, you know, commit suicide or something, that's big. It, It doesn't call for all of that. So I know that there's a trigger there. And when you go into the body and you follow that emotional trail back, you'll find where it started. And if you can diffuse that, then it goes away. Then it becomes just, oh, you know, she hung up on me. She's having a bad day, whatever. It's not a big deal anymore. So I think it's always um, important to to kind of assess how much energy am I giving this thing? Am I ready to lose my relationship over this? It's probably bigger than, and it's probably something old. And what I tend to find is that the more trauma work you do, the more you get at that old shadow stuff the easier life becomes because you're not carrying this big ton of baggage and it doesn't take so much energy to get through the day. It's just easy. 
Mm-hmm. It, it's interesting because I used to, to, um, well, the phrase I've heard is when it's hysterical, it's historical. And yeah. I used to have a lot of that. Um, and I'm thinking of like in my marriage or relationships before that, if somebody didn't want to continue the conversation or was going to walk out or do the stonewalling, I would like lose my mind, lose like, I mean, go insane, like because of abandonment issues, right. And neglect from childhood. And so I would go like, I could not handle it. And it was very hard to get the other person, even with in therapy to be able to say, like to figure out a way for us to, to calm that situation. Let me be able to be fine walking away and coming back at another time. And it's taken a lot of work. And like you're saying, I don't react that way anymore. Okay. Do I do sometimes, but, um, like I can pull myself back and, and it does like, once I understand that this isn't about that person and yeah, maybe someone's having a bad day or whatever, like it, it does take that, the, like, like that need to control it or need to have like immediate response or whatever. Okay. Can deal with this later, you know? Yeah, totally. Totally. But it's very hard to get there. I think it takes a lot of work. Well, and what about like overcompensation? Like I think about it the other way, like, you know, Tracy, you and I have done like an uber amount of processing and therapy. And I'm so very aware of many of the things that trigger me from past, particularly the past relationships or, and what I bring, you know, and and how I'm showing up in like a, a more recent or current relationship. And so I overcompensate. And so as soon as something goes wrong, I, you know, I think, maybe this isn't a real issue. This is something from my past. And then sometimes I ignore actual real issues because I'm so, so much like, oh, it's just my thing. I I just, it's from my childhood and I just need to get over it. It's okay. Everybody lies or, you know, I'm just blowing this out of proportion. Do you see people kind of overcompensate? Cause that's where I've had, that's where I've had some trouble is being, and we, Tracy and I actually talked about this today is being a little bit more boundaried um, because I was kind of, giving people such a benefit of the doubt because I was like, this is my own stuff. But really what was happening was actually toxic and bad. And I was blind to it in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. I think that can happen for sure. And yes, I I agree that it's about boundaries. You know, yes, somebody can be doing uh, something and, and you it's blown up in your head and you're like, oh, it's mine. And you let it go. But if it's not healthy, <laughs> it's not effective. It's still not healthy or effective. So you do have to deal with that stuff. Yeah. And I think it's good to give people the benefit of the doubt and still kind of be more balanced about it. Everybody's got to be responsible. Right. I think that's the thing, right? That each person like going forward now, I only want to be with someone who's actually doing the work or has done a lot of work on themselves. And I was married to a clinical psychologist for eight years. And I would say, Oh, you're holding my trauma against me. And that's so mean. And she's like, no, it's not about your trauma. It's that you haven't been processed it. And you basically vomit it all over everybody. You like spew it out on everybody. And I did not get that until after we divorced. And I think like, so I was a defense attorney. And I think this could be used with most 99% of my clients and 99% of people in prison. You know, all of those things that people do are a reaction to some kind of feeling that they've had growing up, right? It's They, they don't know any other way. And I try and explain that to other people who, if you haven't had that kind of hard life or whatever, you don't get it. Like people feel trapped in their own body. Like they don't know how to react. And I think these groups 
Like they should have DBT groups in, in grade school and in middle school, you know, to, to, for each person to understand like, okay, why do I feel this way? What, how, what is a good way to feel? And then how can I relate to people? And I'm going to look into those groups because I think that's just interesting. What I do now with my therapist and my coach is I send them text threads. I screenshot these text threads of difficult conversations with people or relationship issues. And then I, I, what do you call that? Like go over to after the fact and look and say, okay, could I have said something different? Was I right to be upset about this? Even if I was right to be upset about it, should I have handled it differently? Should I have said something differently? And that has been so helpful for me. So helpful. And even putting up boundaries because I didn't believe in boundaries or have boundaries until recently. And yeah, you know, the text thing I love, um, I, we just had DBT last night and the skill that we used is called, a um, uh, it's basically what you just said where we, we take every single piece of this and say, okay, what could you have done better here? You know, how did this contribute? How did this contribute? And, and it's not a blame thing. It's an awareness thing. Right. People can see what's going on and make different choices. Well, I think taking away that stigma that somehow if you don't know how to be in a relationship with friends or with family or with a partner, that somehow you're bad. But who is taught that? I mean, unless you're fortunate enough to have good models growing up in your home, 80% of the people I've ever met didn't have that, you know, and it causes so many problems. And even when you do, I think because we're kids, we have a childlike sense of reality and we could do it to ourselves and say, you know, oh, this is happening because I'm bad. You know, it could be something like your dad lost his job. Oh, this happened because I'm bad. There's no logic there, but we still internalize it and we still have to let that go. Yeah, some of it's just immaturity. Yeah, and and I, I often hear from people, you know, particularly in their 40s, maybe 50s is, you know, I'm, I'm too broken for a relationship. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm, I'm done. It's done. I've been, I've been broken and now I can't do anything. What do you say to, to those folks? What, you know, the ones that have almost lost hope that they can deal with the trauma or confront it or, or at least work through it and, and move forward to a happy, healthy relationship, or at least believe that they can. Cause a lot of them said, I'm just taking myself offline altogether. I don't want to be with anyone because I'm just, I'm just too broken from all my tra- trauma. Yeah. I don't think anybody's ever broken. I don't think we can be broken. I think we can feel that way. Um, but I think it's about remembering the beauty and the light and the love that we are. To me, that's the whole process of life. Everything we're doing is about remembering the love and light that we are. And we do that every day in little tiny choices. And the more you do that, the more you feel that. And um, I'll share a little one minute, super quick thing that you can do. Anybody can do to to feel that. And this is where I start with, with those types of clients. It's a one minute meditation. And I learned this from a woman named Carla Mancari. She worked in a prison and, uh, she was facilitating groups. And one of the things she wanted to do with them was to meditate. And so they started off with 20 minutes and they're like, Oh, this is too long. <laughs> and then 10 minutes. Oh, this is too long. And she finally got them down. They finally got her down to one minute <laughs> and they would do one minute twice a day. And I worked in a prison too. Everything is measured. Every single thing is measured. Um, and the, the people that were in her group had far less infractions and did better than those who didn't based on that one minute twice a day. So I have clients do that and I'll do it with them for the first time. And all you're doing for one minute is nothing. You're not breathing a certain way. 
You're not visualizing anything. You're not sending love. You're not, you're not doing anything, just nothing, emptying. And um, that is one of the reasons that I credit for my DBT group. I've done DBT several times in, in my career. And they're all really, really good. But the one that I have now is like on crack. They are on fire. And I, I credit the one minute meditation because they're just so much more mindful. And they see things like um, one of my favorite things in the morning is watching the light come through the clouds. It's just so pretty the way that I don't know. <laughs> and, uh, you start to see things like that. You start to see beautiful things. And then you start to see beautiful things in yourself and other people. And it just makes a little sparkle on everything that you see. And then that you notice, you know what? That sparkle is coming from me. And so I think when you, when you feel that, you only need to feel it once to realize I'm not broken, that this love and light does live in me. It is me. And then I think everything becomes much more hopeful. So it's not going to take the trauma away immediately, but it gives a little balance to it. And then as you're working through it, it gets smaller and smaller and smaller and your acceptance of yourself grows, your compassion for other people grows and your hope grows. So it's like, okay, I have this thing, it's a mountain and I'm going to get through it. I love that idea. I love that. And I, I'm right there with those, those prisoners, 20 minutes might've literally killed me of meditation, but I think I can commit to one minute. I really do. I think Tracy, we should have a meditation one minute. See if we both every morning. Well, that's the thing, but I I feel like we do that. So Corey and I always hike together and then we're processing stuff. And I think that having a, like, it's almost like an accountability partner for your thoughts. We're like, don't spiral down into, I mean, she and I have been through one breakup each or something like that or similar. We met after I was getting divorced and she was having a breakup from a long-term relationship and to be able to not spiral down, right. And to, to focus on gratitude. And it's not like, Oh, I'm just grateful for, you know, I mean, I'm very grateful for a lot of things, but like actually liking myself, you know, and when you take that time and I did that with my clients as well, like you're in jail, you're not getting out. Like, why don't you be productive in there? Why don't you sit and look at yourself instead of trying to gnaw your own arm off, right? And I feel like even if we're not in jail or prison, we're doing the same thing. And what Corey like is talking about, I think especially with our demographic of women over 40 and then 45 and 50, they're like, forget it. I, I don't want to do this anymore. It's exhausting, right? And so they kind of just give up. But then I notice that they all start to look at themselves and turn inward and actually become happier through that. You know, I mean, very few of them seem more miserable. Like right now I'm single. It's the first time in my life, really like being a single person since, and I'm 53 and I'm loving it. Like I don't even want it to change. And that shocks me, you know, because I'm focusing on myself and I was up at three this morning, cleaning the house and getting ready for my trip. And I was like, Meh whatever, it's my house. I can be vacuuming at 3am and like loving who I am and the choices I'm making. And I think truly, you know, I said to my coach the other day, I don't even anticipate like ever getting in a relationship again. I can't even imagine the person that I would, there's somebody I would want to be with. And she's like, oh, I, she's also a psychic. So she's like, I see that person. I don't want to tell you about the person now. And she's like, cause you're doing so much good work focusing on yourself and truly even though I have loved all the people that I've been in relationships with, I wasn't a good partner because I had no idea how to care about myself. 
but how, how can we get that message out to the world? I mean, you're doing it one client at a time, DBT group at a time, helping people, you know, in prison. It's like, everybody needs this. I don't think there's, I mean, Corey's the most positive person I've ever met, but she's, that's come in a lot of work, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's each one, teach one. We all are examples for everybody. What did you just say? Can you say that again? What'd you say? Each one, teach one. What? Yes. Each one, My- teach one. So we're, we're all mirrors for each other and we're all teaching each other, whether we know it or not. And we don't mm-hmm. know what kind of, uh, impact we're going to make. So if we can keep it positive, you know, that's all we can do. See, so, Corey, did you hear that? Each yeah, one, I teach did. one. I had a, yeah, I had a friend yesterday who was, or two days ago, who was so mad and was going to punish the child that she had, not physically, but just like, and I was like, why don't you just step back? And why don't you think about it this way? And so we talked the next day and they had had a sit down conversation, she and her teen, and it went so much better, right? Her first reaction was terrible. And I thought, okay, well, I, I was able to hear that, what she was saying, and then try and help turn it around. Yeah. I'm, and we use each one, teach one in my, in my world of education. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. Right. I love that idea. Um, you know, and I think when we kind of circle it back around to our romantic relationships and, you know, our, maybe the intentions we're doing self work or, you know, trying to put positive, you know, positive energy out. I really did try to do a kind of a mental shift in the last couple of years of kind of how I show up in the world. And I realized that if how I show up for others is, is how I'm showing up for myself. And so it's actually really kind of a, a secular kind of experience where I feel better every day doing it. But sometimes I've noticed like, you know, and with, with me or with other people or whatever, that sometimes baggage from the past sort of creeps up as well-intentioned as I am about doing this relationship right. I'm going to do this one right. And, and I'm off to a far better start on this relationship that I'm in. But sometimes I notice like, you know, baggage might creep up or someone I'm talking to is in a new relationship and I can see, I can literally see some of their baggage because I know them so well creeping up into uh, their new relationship. And so, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about what you do when you notice it full blown, but what do you do when you see it sort of just, just percolating a a little bit? Do you do just kind of some self-work, just kind of a reset, or do you talk with your partner about it? Or do you go get therapy? Like at what levels do you actually try to kind of intervene in this kind of trauma response? I uh, see that shadow stuff as a blessing because it's better out than in. If it's poking its head out, I'm, I'm going right after it. I'm going into it. I want to get that out of there. I don't want to carry that stuff. So it doesn't bother me if I get like tweaked out or yeah, who cares, you know, <laughs> use it. That's what I say. You know, I mean, if it's, if it's there, then I can do something with it. If it's hiding under the surface, I don't even know it's there. Yeah. So if you feel that coming up you or you've noticed that in interaction with a partner, then you can say, Hey, look, I think this was real triggering for me because of X, Y, or Z. Oh, for sure. For uh-huh. sure. And I, I know how to do, to deal with it. So typically I can do that on my own. I just need some space. But if I don't, you know, there's sometimes that you can't do it for yourself. You're too close to it. It's too, you know, whatever it is and you need some help. And I think that's important too. And, and it gives you some support. So there's times that I don't want to deal with it by myself. So <laughs> I do have to find someone to help. That, that makes sense. I mean, is it a, I don't know whether I want to say appropriate because there's no real right or wrong here, but just kind of what is your, what are your thoughts about if you do have a partner that is doing something that is 
that is triggering for you that that is you know and they're not doing anything really wrong or bad um but that it's triggering is it okay to have the conversation to say like i'm going to be dealing with the trigger on my end but is there a way that maybe you could also curb back some of this behavior and we could work together or is it totally on me to like figure out how i want to process the trigger and then they they keep doing like if they're they're always late for instance and that really triggers me to something in my childhood where my parents missed my high school graduation because they were late and I'm triggered by it. And I'm working on it on my end, maybe that, you know, dealing with people who are late, but at the same time, is it okay for me to ask my partner to say, this really triggers me? Do you think maybe you could try to be on time or, or is it really my issue? I think that's, so I see that as a, as a shared uh, space issue and shared space is negotiated. So we have mm-hmm. to figure out how we're going to, it could be your living room. It could be an emotional thing. It could be anything. How are we going to share this space so that it feels safe for both of us? So, yeah, I think it is appropriate to to let the other person know it's not their stuff. They don't have to make any adjustments. But I think the kind and loving thing would be for them to be considerate of that. But in the meantime, I'm going to take radical responsibility and and deal with my stuff so that I'm not dependent upon them to keep me safe. That, that makes a lot of sense, right? Well, and I also would think that having that conversation with a partner would also bring you closer together because you're, yes. you feel like you're working on something together to, to strengthen the relationship versus, you know, waiting until it bubbles up and then you scream at your partner for being late that 50th time. But, you know, and then it comes out of nowhere and you end up in this relationship destroyer cycle, like we talked about. Um, that feels to me like a more loving kind of response. Yeah, because you're vulnerable. And when that vulnerability is met with love and safety, then it, it does bring you closer together. So I think okay. it's a perfect opportunity. So what if it's not met with love and safety? Is that something maybe you should contemplate getting out of? Like if that other person just can't be there, like they're just, are there people that are just not ready to go there? Are there people who are immature emotionally or avoidant or something like that and they just don't want to deal like that's what I've dealt with a couple times now and I just it's I've had it's had to end because there's just no there's no work on the other side at all or or very little yeah so I used to think that uh, anybody could love anybody you know if you're lovable I'm lovable then we can be lovable together but there are people who who don't do shared space well and if your way of doing shared space is making me work too hard, again, you're not responsible for me. But if I have to make all these uh, negotiations just to be comfortable, then it's too much. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to meet somewhere that fits well for both of us. Yeah. Do you think it's hard for people who are beginning to process and become processors and looking at all this? Yeah. I've seen this online, like, oh, now I can't, it's hard to be with other people because they're not of that same awareness or that level. I mean, you're saying you can teach people, should we try and teach our intimate partner or we just decide, okay, this is what I can put up with. Like, I'm at the point where I literally want someone at the same level now because I want to talk about these things and I don't, I don't want to constantly be chasing someone or trying to get them to listen to me or whatever, um, I mean, I guess, do you find people that are in, at different levels that come to you? Like, I don't think that works too well. Because mm, they just yeah. don't even want to come there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think it just feels unequal and unsatisfying. If I want to have a deep emotional conversation, 
and the other person can't hear it and doesn't understand what I'm talking about, it it's like talking to a blank wall and it's not satisfying for either one. Mm-hmm. I think there's gotta be connection there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's sad. It's sad when we outgrow people or, you know, they're never going to be what we want them to be, but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Have you experienced that or seen that where you do or you watch people leave and get out of that and then find somebody who's more on their level? Like, I guess that's what I'm saying. Like, would then, let's say, just we'll use me as an example. So I get, I'm in this relationship. It's just a, kind of a one way. I'm always trying to process stuff or talk about stuff. And the other person's just like a wall, right? So then I get out of that mm-hmm. and I go and be with somebody else. I mean, that doesn't guarantee a happier relationship because people are still going to have their issues, right? But isn't there just kind of more satisfaction or happiness with, even if somebody has issues that they're willing to work on them or they're willing to, talk about that stuff for sure yeah i mean i think somebody with skills you know you can work with that mm-hmm. <laughs> if there's no skills and no interest then it's a dead end yeah so and intention clients, desire yeah, yeah ability yeah and i tell my clients and it's it's not something that they want to hear but if you know if you're in a, a dysfunctional relationship and one person is working on themselves they're going to outgrow their partner Mm-hmm. So you're going to have some choices. The other person's going to have to work on their stuff so that y'all can grow together or you will grow apart. I've not seen it work any other way. Hmm. That makes so much sense. So I'm going to ask the big Tracy question that she always, that she kind of always visits is how soon is too soon for therapy or intervention? I mean, you're in a, you're in a relationship, you're three months in and you're having some you know, conflicts and things are creeping up, triggers are happening, traumas are are emerging, Um, you know, otherwise the relationship is good, but is it too soon for therapy? Is there like, or, or, you know, kind of what's your take on that? No, I think as soon as you notice something, yeah. And if it's not something that you can deal with on your own, ask for help for sure. I don't know why. Exactly. Exactly. Why wouldn't you? People, people think that's a sign though, that like, that the the relationship is bad or that you're bad. And I I ask this question all the time because I was in one where it was a few months in and there were clearly huge issues. And I said, I want to work on this. I want to be with you. I understand that these are trauma responses you've had since you were a kid. Let's go to therapy. And then the family went insane. And the friends were like, it is too soon for you to be in therapy and to doing therapy. And I was like, okay, you're the one who needs a therapy, but I'm here I want to be a part of this because I want this relationship to work. And I think people were, people are very judgy about that. And that's something that, you know, I want people to hear is like, why is it too soon? Literally, I think that people should start out with a coach and they'd be so much happier because you meet someone and you're into them. And then ugh, all this stuff that they don't, people don't know how to navigate on their own. And like asking for help is some kind of weakness. Uh, Yeah, I had a a couple who came in, they were newlyweds. They were high school sweethearts, newlyweds. They really loved each other, wanted to stay in love. And and they were arguing about where to put the remote, that he wasn't putting the remote back. And she, he didn't like that she spent too much time, according to him, talking to her mom. Mm. And they didn't want to carry that around for years. (laughs) So they came in and we worked on that. And I thought that was fantastic. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And when my daughter got married, uh, I gave her a book and it was about how to deal with conflict because I didn't want them to have to deal with that stuff. I think there's a problem. Fix it. Fix it soon. It only gets worse if you don't. Yes. Wow. Perfect advice. See, that's awesome. I mean, we have it. We have it from an expert. Exactly. (laughs) Get the help right away. Why not? If you love someone, put in the work, put in the effort, you know, and I think there's nothing more heartbreaking than to really, truly love someone who just doesn't can't can't put in the work or doesn't want to. That breaks my heart. It makes me really sad. And I. I'd rather, okay, tell everybody we're going to therapy. So what? We have past, we have histories. And, and I think there's this shame about like, you're somehow responsible for what happened to you as a kid. You know, I think that's societal. Like it's not this person's fault. You know, like why don't we help people instead of shaming them? Oh, look, I'm going to start crying. Okay. We better end this. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Why don't we? Why don't we want to just help people? So I appreciate all the work you're doing because even if you say, oh, look, I'm just helping one person at a time or I'm just helping this one group, what you're doing is putting seeds that are sprouting everywhere else. And those people are healthier and those people are happier and they're going to have interactions with people. You know, you're like a, a skipping a stone and just making ripples, you know, outward. So I, I appreciate everything you're doing. It's amazing. Well, excellent. Well, I, I'm so glad we had a chance to talk to you, Laura. This was fantastic. And, you know, really looking at some of these, these deeper issues and you've given us a lot of resources that we'll make sure to put in the show notes and particularly how to get a hold of you, but maybe we can kind of end with just telling us, uh, telling our listeners a little bit more about where they can find you, what's on the horizon for you next, what kinds of things do you offer so that they know um, when they reach out or if they reach out that uh, what, what you do and what you, you know, what you offer. Sure. Uh, my website is my name, laurajiles.org. And um, some of the things I have coming up, so I'm doing a pilgrimage, which I'm really looking forward to. So that's going to be, um, it's going to be kind of a hybrid of people having some alone time together. Mm. <laughs> It'll be a nice, safe place for that. Um, I have two of them coming up next year. And I just finished an initiation into womanhood, which was absolutely spectacular. So it's, we spent time uh, getting really intimate with what it means to be a woman. And I, I feel transformed by mm. that. So we'll be doing that again next year. So if anybody wants to join that for next year, they can. The best place to do that is at, um, so there's a link on my website, laurajiles.org, but it's player.laura. What is it? Let's just go to the website. Go to the website. <laughs> yeah. It's a free group. Um, and it's a safe place. It's a safe place to be, to practice being safe, to getting yourself out there with other people who are not judgy. So it's a virtual kind of thing versus we have the real ones too. But I think everybody needs a safe place. So I created one. Nice. That's awesome. That is excellent. Well, like I said, I'll put, I'll put these things in the show notes and Make sure that our listeners know how to get a hold of you and some of the resources that you have and some of the upcoming programs that you have. So thank again, you. thank you so much for being on the, on the episode today, helping us look at bringing the past to the present. And for all of you listeners out there, until our next episode, go out there and rock those relationships. 
If you liked what you heard, check out our show notes for resources from today's episode. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram under Rock That Relationship and go to our website at rockthatrelationship.com for updated episodes and more great information. Thanks for listening. Now go rock those relationships.